Chapter 46 King Gwen watched August as he dozed. He rested his hand on one hand and stroked hesitant patterns on August's side with his other, fingers curling over August's bare skin, finding it taut over his bones. For all August seemed to constantly find excuses to present Gwen with food, August had also lost weight over the months that had passed. August seemed not to notice. When Gwen pointed it out, August had shrugged and said, "'It's been worse.' That left Gwen thinking of August's childhood, growing up and raising Ash, going hungry to make sure Ash could eat. A week had passed since the coronation. Albion was coming in only a few hours. It was an insult that Albion had left it so long, but Gwen had expected nothing less. Any respect Albion paid to him would be false. Gwen didn't want to sleep or doze. He used his Dreoct to mask his fear, a habit so automatic he hardly thought about it, and tried to feel more suited for the position of kingship than he really was. It had been a week of unseely court families, as well as those who had once been court, coming to request audience with him. Golvi and August had both insisted he turn them away until the first round of invitations were sent out and the court itself had altered its appearance. It didn't feel right to send anyone away. The court was empty. He sent the nobles away. It was a week of rumors, of August leaving for his lake and Gwen feeling that absence acutely, despite knowing it was for the best and being too busy to see him. A week of tentative truce with Ash now that he'd blood oath not to work against the unseely kingdom or betray it to the seely court. Two things Gwen intended anyway. A week of stealing time to train and the grating, scraping misery of it. A week of armor that didn't fit, of swords that balanced adequately but weren't his sword, of constantly going to call for troves and remembering that this court had no cohesive unit of servants or housekeepers. You're king again, but king of what, exactly? August sighed as Gwen splayed his fingers over the base of his ribs on his right. August was sensitive there. But his eyelids didn't flutter. He didn't waken. Gwen didn't know how to reach out and touch him like this when August was awake, but he couldn't help himself now, feeling lukewarm skin under his calloused fingers and staring at August hungrily. August had returned two days before. It hadn't been an easy return. August found him working on the accounts on his own and greeted him by backhanding across the face. "'You haven't changed it yet!' August hissed. August had a habit of angling his fingers just right, scoring marks with his claws across his cheek. They burned. But there was a wildness in August's eyes, a fear that reminded him too much of wild animals lashing out when they were caught in traps. It took a moment for Gwen to realize what he was talking about. He grimaced. I'm researching older designs, old illustrations. I'll need more time, August. I'm still learning this place, and I wish for it to be something that I am not. Inviting. It has to have elements of the older courts, the night gardens of Thugine, the guest rooms of the Raven Prince, known for his generosity. Can you try and bear with it longer? You can leave whenever you wish. I know it grates on you. August had opened his mouth to say that it didn't, Gwen could tell. But Gwen stared at him levelly, wearing reddening marks on his cheeks, lips thin. August responded to difficult situations with violence, and Gwen's chest ached at the thought of August returning and expecting a different environment only to find everything the same. August was not okay in the unseely court, for many reasons. Gwen stole moments whenever he could to research old templates, as well as the blueprints of other unseely noble family houses that were favored for their aesthetic. Longa. 
how much longer? Olga said, his voice quiet, uncertain. It didn't suit him. Gwen's expression must have changed then. Perhaps it showed some hint of empathy, because Olga's face twisted in disgust, and his fingers tensed into claws. Gwen put down his papers, looked up at the ceiling. I made the mistake of changing the city court immediately, and I was questioned on it almost every day that I was king and present in the court. It will be another few weeks, at least. I'm sorry, Olga's. Kings and queens used to take months. August flickered the briefest glance at him, and his eyes were hooded, haunted. Gwen laughed bitterly under his breath. <laughs> Since I seem to be doing so much better here, and you seem to be doing so much better in the city court, perhaps we should just overtake both. With all that power and wealth that we have, August said, joining in, rolling his eyes. Yes, with that military at my beck and call and all the servants and... Gwen growled under his breath. And no tailors or cooks or armorers or smiths or... Oh, I was rather enjoying that game, August said, a half-smile gracing his face. It was an expression that was softer than his smirk, though not quite his real, shy smile that he offered only rarely, hardly at all since they'd been in the unsteely court. They didn't talk for a long moment, but the silence was comfortable. After a while, August dragged his fingers along the top of a chair, the movement unintentionally sensual. A lot of things August did were like that. Gwen wondered if he was aware of it. Albion arrives in two days, August said. Advise me, Gwen said. He had his fear masked, but he knew August could tell it was there. Gwen had made a mistake in showing him how scared he truly was after the coronation. The whole experience had once more been harrowing, even without a crowd to witness it this time. He'd gone and hyperventilated after becoming Seely King, too. He remembered teleporting to a forest and throwing up by a tree, so violently that he'd ended up throwing up blood. Wear armor, a sword. You are a martial king. Gwen winced, shook his head. We will all be aware in the moment he sees me in poorly fitting armor that the unseely court both has no wealth and that I am missing my actual armor. Make it work, August said, his voice hardening. You're king. You don't need my advice in this. You know Albion, you know what he will respond to. You don't want to do any of it, because you'll be formally drawing a line in the sand between yourself and the city court. But he's coming in two days. You'll have to do something. Gwen picked up the accounts again and stared at them. You're dismissed, Gwen said, voice cold. August laughed. In a flash of unexpected athleticism, he leaped onto the table, a stack of papers falling off. He knocked the accounts out of Gwen's hand and wrapped vicious fingers around his throat. Gwen's blood ran cold, his muscles locked up. He remembered a cruel, efficient hand, cold blue eyes, his power leaving him, the eyes of a seething mass upon him, and cruelty thick in the air, and he— Not the throat, not the throat, not the throat, not the— Gwen leaned over the armrest of his wooden chair as August let go, shuddering for breath, covering his own throat protectively. August dragged him back up with a hand in his hair. That too? August said, his voice a soft counterpoint to the pain he was inflicting. Is there anything that didn't damage you when you had your kingship taken away? Don't answer that. If you say you're dismissed ever again when we're not in public, I will ruin you. Disrespect me at your own peril, Gwen. You're not safe just because you have this status again. You were never safe with me. August twisted his hand hard, and Gwen felt several strands of hair come loose. Unbidden, something in him unwound, he sagged in the chair, staring up at August. August noticed, his grip tightened. But there was no glint or fire in August's eyes, and he let go abruptly, 
still balanced on the table. Gwen, you're going to have to talk to me about it. Shall I make you? Gwen shook his head, looked away. I can't, Gwen said. I can't. And that master of your humiliation, the one who has made it so I can't touch your throat, he will be here in two days. Gwen ran a hand over his face. Alga sighed. My advice? Kill him. Gwen laughed, but when he looked up, August's expression had shuddered. He realized August was serious. August? I would, August said, for what he did to you. But after that, conversation turned to other lighter matters, and eventually August had left. Gwen was shocked at how visceral his reaction had been to having a hand on his throat. He'd had no idea it was an issue. Then again, not many people went around wrapping fingers around his neck. And, he realized, as he now spread his fingers over August's vulnerable belly, August was right. He wanted to hide from all of it. No more hiding. I'll be on comms today. You know what you have to do. Gwen nursed an idea. A daring idea. The court was already broken, and it seemed like the best time to experiment with ideas that were surely madness was when everyone else expected them. Rumors flew fast and thick that Gwen was some kind of mad genius. The unseelie fae were flattering, if desperate, in their estimations of him, and the proportion that worried Gwen had been turned by the seelie were in the minority. They have to be. They're desperate enough to cling to any hope at this time. But he could capitalize on that. He would use it. He knew how to do that much. August hummed sleepily under his breath, and Gwen shifted his hand so that the backs of his fingers could trail a line over his skin. He skirted around the edges of the soul bond. It was surprisingly easy to miss, despite it taking up a portion of his chest. It was as though the magic of it convinced his eyes to skate away, and he had to really concentrate now to examine it. The skin felt no different, but he could feel a strange magic crackling in his fingertips like static when he passed close to the mark. His shoulder ached, but it was, at least now, easy to ignore. August's face was in repose. Freckles stood out on his cheek and shoulders darker from exposure to sunlight. His thick, long lashes were a smudge of black. His lips were slightly downturned, as though he were in mourning or faintly disturbed. Gwen resisted the urge to kiss them. Gwen sensed the presence of one of the common fae courtkeepers, looked towards the door a few seconds before he heard the quiet knock. Come in, he called, eyes moving down to August, hoping he wouldn't stir. The common fae entered. She was named Ada, the one who seemed less shy than the others. Her eyes drifted to August and widened, as though surprised to see him as anything other than the evil caricature they had all built him up to be in their minds. What is it? Gwen said. Your Majesty, there is a band of trolls here to see you, and we weren't sure we should turn them away. They have claimed you expected them? Should I send them away? No, Gwen said, keeping his voice quiet. He eased off the bed, but August stirred at that, his hand reached out. Gwen? he murmured. There was something painfully vulnerable about him half awake. Gwen felt a murderous impulse flash through him that the courtkeeper had seen it. He knew they gossiped amongst each other. He had no patience for it. Gwen trailed his fingers over the palm of August's hand. It's okay. Court business. I'll return. Hmm. August sighed. But his eyelids fluttered open. As soon as he saw Ada, he scowled. What court business? The Troes. 
Gwen said, pulling on pants, buttoning a creased shirt onto his body. August pursed his lips, then rose in a fluid movement, unashamed of his nudity, staring at Ada with a cold boldness. I'm coming too, August said. Well, they're waiting, Gwen said to Ada. The Tavalina Portal. The main entrance, not even the Gwilwardi, which meant that, Gwen's heart leaped at the thought, perhaps it was the Seely Troves. He hesitated, thoughts racing through his mind. Albion knew he favored the Troves. Could he have captured some? Was this a trick? Albion was already due later that day. Were they spies, perhaps? No one else was with them? Gwen asked, his voice hardening. No one. There's only five there, Your Majesty. After that, Gwen waved his hand in dismissal, and Ada exited. It wouldn't matter if they were spies. Gwen wasn't planning on giving away any secrets. He waited for August to dress, combed his fingers through his hair. August was quiet, smoothing his shirt, making sure his rapier was buckled firmly to his side. Gwen had always assumed that August spent time fussing over his appearance, but August didn't take long at all. Gwen held out his hand, and August placed his palm in it. They teleported into light. Three of the troves were Seely, two were not. Gwen went to his knees immediately, knowing how they hated other species of fae lording their height over them. August did the same a minute later, managing the act with far more grace. Two of the Seely troves, their dark, luminous eyes alit with excitement in the gloomy entrance of the Tavalina, were the ones August had interacted with the most. They reached out to pet August's hands where they rested on his knees. August looked down, raising his eyebrows at them with a mix of amusement, and, Gwen was shocked to see it, affection. Come within, it's safer, Gwen said. The head Seely Tro, the one Gwen had spoken to the most, shook his head. No, this will be quick, he signed. The unSeely Tros stepped forwards. They wore uglier clothing than the Seely, which was saying something, as their Seely counterparts had never placed much stock in appearance. Otherwise, they appeared the same. They had the same gray skin and wrinkled countenances, the same black eyes and hooked noses, the same fragile, long, clever fingers. One of the unseely troves was gazing at the silver accents on August Rapier. Gwen raised his hands to sign, but the head seely tro shook his head. We have talked with our cousins across the river. The tro signed in the common sign language of the Fay. Gwen smiled to hear the old, peaceful reference. Cousins across the river was how Fay always used to refer to their seely or unseely connections. We have told them of your kindnesses. They wish to work for you. They are like us. But they must eat meat, and they must leave for the human world to feed upon the theft of others. Gwen turned to the unseely troves. He wasn't certain this would work, yet he felt touched imagining the seely troves contacting their unseely brethren to see if they could continue working for Gwen. There would be no harm in asking for more details, at least. How many of you have agreed to this? One of the unseely troves, a strangely nervous set to his face, signed in return. Our cousins gave us an advance payment in silver. Three hundred have agreed. However, we are no more trained than our cousins when you hired them. Gwen nodded slowly. That didn't bother him. Troves were naturally inclined to tidying, to looking after those in their charge. He knew it was the same for the unseely troves, except that they fed on and inspired kleptomania in the human world. Three hundred was a good number for a growing court, especially as Gwen wanted the court to be well-serviced and as grand as it had once been. I am honored, humbled by this. I wish to accept. 
Unfortunately, I exhausted my silver stocks making sure your cousins received a proper severance, Gwen said, and the seedy trows nodded. The two by August were now simply sitting and watching him, adoration in their eyes. It made something warm spark in Gwen's chest. If he could, he'd hire the seedy trows back. But it wasn't permitted, and everyone knew it. The head seedy tro interrupted what the other unseedy tro had been about to say with quick, flicking movements of his fingers. Gwen still didn't understand their native language, though he'd tried, picked up the odd word here and there before the speedy evolution of their sign language made it redundant. The head seedy tro turned back to him, face sober. It is not in our nature to give silver. We guard it jealously. But you gave us more than we needed, and we owed you a debt anyway, Gwen of the Stars. To pay back that debt, we have paid them each in silver, securing their services to you for five years. After that, you will pay them wages comparable to ours. What else do I need to know? Gwen said, flushed with an uncomfortable gratitude. One of the unseely tros, wearing a shawl that was once indigo, responded, We steal silver. Anything else? We tidy, we cook, we fetch items, and we find. We do not care for dusting. Gwen laughed quietly. <laughs> if you'll permit it, I can hire others to take care of that. I understand you'll have to leave to feed. And of course you'll need time for your hanks and other business, as the Seely Tros did. I'm sure they've explained what everything was like for them while in my employ. Is there anything else I should know? No, the unSeely Tro signed, and then looked over at the Seely Tro for support. They nodded at each other. He lifted his hands in a more formalized manner. Gwen of the Stars... I swear on behalf of those of us that will serve you and the unseely court that we will not betray your court to our seely cousins, other seely, other unseely, or steal anything other than silver. We will serve you and anyone you ask us to, and not just the court itself as per your contract with our cousins. We swear by our sturdy caves and the grounds that sing to us. May they fail should we fail you. Rather impressive, August whispered, and Gwen looked over at him, eyes wide. He didn't know August could understand the common sign language. I accept your fealty, Gwen said, and the unseelie tro nodded briskly. Show us this court, and allow us into the outer circles, so that we may show you we are worthy of your trust. Gwen signed a quick agreement. In this, he wasn't concerned about betrayal. Service-oriented fae were not physiologically able to betray their oaths, regardless of how they were made. Not only that, but after so long in the seelie court... He had faith in the head Seely Tro's ability to assess someone's character. You have done me a great service, Gwen said to the head Seely Tro. The Tro's face crinkled in something like amusement. Perhaps, but you have done us the greater. We have lost favor with the Seely, but it was favor we never truly had. Those of us who wanted to keep working are finding paid employ amongst unseely houses. We like to work. We have been well served by your faith. May you be well served by ours. I hope to see you again, Gwen said, and signed a clumsy attempt at a farewell in what he hoped was the seely sign dialect of the Tros. The head Tro's eyes widened in surprise, and then his shoulders shook in a silent laugh. We stopped using that sign months ago, but I appreciate the attempt, Gwen of the Stars. Farewell to you also. The seely Tro turned to the two by August, but they shook their heads rapidly. After that, there was a debate that seemed quickly resolved, and the head tro placed a finger to his nose and disappeared in a puff of pale gray dirt. I'm staying here with these two for a while longer, August said. 
Gwen paused, looked at the sea litros and how happy they seemed, and nodded in agreement to August. He turned to the unseelie troes, feeling disbelief warring alongside his gratitude. He'd miss the troes. Even if the unseelie troes turned out to be half as helpful as their seelie cousins, it would still be a type of service he desired. They were discreet, secretive creatures, and they did not like to gossip. He rather thought that the way the seelie and unseelie troes treated each other, as cousins across the river, was an attitude the fey world had lost sight of. As he teleported them away, he knew his later meeting with Albion was likely not going to go as smoothly. They were not cousins across the river. Gwen wore a thinner gambeson under the plate armor. A longsword was sheathed at his side. A crown rested atop his head, far heavier than it had any right to be. The armor was black, it fit poorly, and there wasn't enough time for the troves to outsource a new suit of the stuff. His heart pounded so hard in his chest, he was surprised he couldn't hear it thudding dully against the metal of the breastplate. His shoulder throbbed. August had dug his fingers into it only an hour before, but the pressure point therapy never brought much time. That it brought any relief at all was a miracle. Gulby stood nearby in her leathers, the closest she got to armor. Her knives were newly polished, her claws sharpened, and her dark brown leather pants were laced up close against her skin, her chest protected with a closely-fitting leather breastplate. It offered hardly any protection for ground skirmishes, but it was suited for aerial combat. Her white blonde hair was slicked back in a ponytail, plaited down in a queue. She was ready for a fight. August wore what he often did these days, a rapier at his side, more a courtier than a warrior, but dangerous all the same. His react was active, adding to his energy of charming, dangerous malevolence. Ash, beside him, still wore human clothing, would have been the odd one out were it not for the dark expression on his face. Gwen wondered if their conversation the other day had anything to do with that. Ash had cornered him again while August was away, well after the blood oath. Colby says that Albion might try and take down the Uncity Court at some point. He might, Gwen acknowledged. It was slightly easier to talk to Ash now that he wasn't actively, subtly bullying him at almost every turn. He can. He has the martial strength. The old magic about this place will keep him and the other Seelie out, but he can make sure we are effectively cut off from our wealth and trade sources, pick off the most powerful families in the kingdom. Fuck, Ash said, shaking his head. You can't let that happen. I don't plan to, Gwen said. But if he puts his mind to it, there isn't a great deal we can do. We are, as the saying goes, over a barrel in this. Funny hearing that from you, over a barrel. Ash said, though he didn't laugh. His eyes narrowed. Because isn't that how August has you? Like, over a barrel? Do you call him master? Sir? Anything like that? Gwen froze, staring at him. He felt a flush creeping up his cheeks. Had August said something? He couldn't think of anything worse. He needed to make sure he explained to August that. It's true, Ash said, surprised and breathless. Oh, man! It's true. Here is Sub. Fucking hell. I mean, hey, are you blushing? Oh my god, you are. Are you embarrassed? Gwen cleared his throat, could feel his expression matching the rage that blossomed blood red and hot in his body. Light itched along his veins. He wasn't in the mood for this. Hey, don't be embarrassed, Ash said. It's not like I'm going to think any less of you for it. It'd be an insult to my brother, right? And you haven't insulted him enough by not trusting his judgment in me? That's different, and you know it. 
You want to see him in a situation like he was in before? If you care for him, you'd know where I was coming from. I don't know. We have a sort of truce now, don't we? Ash had looked down, ruffled a hand through his hair. I see the way he looks at you when you're not looking at him. It's not like blind adoration or anything. I can see it's not the same now as it was then. But Gwen, you fucked me over. I need time to understand who you are. And also, August is private. You're private. All this time, and I hardly know anything about you. And if August is beneath that wall, if he knows you, then whatever he sees beneath your dick persona is worth something. A little trust, maybe. Who knows? I'm still waiting for you to fuck up. So am I, Gwen said, tired. Ash looked confused. Gwen shrugged a shoulder. I'm as surprised to be receiving August's favor as you are that he's giving it to me. So what are you going to do about Albion? He ripped you down in front of the Sealy. You were in jail because of him. He was basically your warden, right? Did you ever expect it from him? Ash hopped up to sit on the desk, swinging his legs, curious. But Gwen now knew better. Ash was a predator. He might be compassionate, he might be capable of empathy, but beneath that he was the Glashton, who was, at least in past incarnations, far more bloodthirsty and vicious than the more refined Ak Ushka. There was a wiliness in Ash's eyes that was turned into a charming wit by his driacht. I expected him to defend the CD Corps to the best of his ability, and that's what he did. Whether I agree with his methods is something else entirely. As for what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk to him. I have some things I want to say. I'm going to head off any conflict, if I can. Ash had offered something of a skeptical smile to Gwen at the time, but now he waited at the entrance of the Gwilwardi, looking out into a forest clearing by August's side. Gwen was surprised to see the exact moment that Ash lit up his driacht, appearing warm and charming. He even turned to Gwen and winked. August looked at Gwen, reserved. Gwen stood straighter, took a deep breath, found the old core energies inside of himself. There was justice alongside wildness, and there, waiting with avaricious fingers, an old jarring melody of triumph. He gathered them to himself and let his natural dreoct flood out, the one that made people take notice of him on a battlefield, that had soldiers paying attention and kings listening to his strategies. He absently touched the hilt of his sword, turned to the others. So, Ash said before he could say anything, we're broke, have no military. And, like, we've all failed at being king or queen at some point. We're ready for this to be the last unseelie court in existence? No, Gwen said. This will not be the last unseelie court. Ash and August remain silent, no matter what they say to you. Golvi, if you notice anything untoward as they approach, throw up one of those soundproofing breezes. They're convenient. Silent? Ash said, looking put out. Gwen stared him down until Ash's eyebrows rose, and he nodded in reluctant agreement. August said nothing at all. He watched Gwen with a strange light in his eyes. It was odd, Gwen thought, that he didn't feel as sick about this meeting now as he had over a week ago, or even two days ago. Albion would come, he would be arrogant, and he would be condescending. Gwen wanted his respect, his approval, but he wasn't likely to get the latter now that they knew he was unseely. But he could make an attempt to win back his respect. It helped that Gwen knew the situation of the unseely court was already untenable. He wasn't some cuckoo in the Oak King's old court, watching it dwindle from its glory days of leisure and warmth into the martial court that Gwen had created. The unseelie court was already likely to fail, and anyone could see that. If he couldn't save it, if he failed, would anyone truly be surprised? He was struck with the odd notion that, at this point, 
he could only attempt to improve the mess that was before him. Far easier, then, to come into a broken, shattered court that no one else wanted to deal with, than to take over something that was already, by the standards of many fay, a perfectly administered court. Quen walked forwards until he was officially clear of the protection of the unseelie court, past the barrier of the Gwilwardi. Ash, Golby, and August followed. Golby walked flush with Gwen's left-hand side, the customary place for the queen-in-waiting. As though responding to a signal, Albion and his inner court shimmered into existence on a fine mist of diamond dust, tiny particles of frost that caught the mid-afternoon light. The sun was gloomier, so close to the unseelie court, but it shone all the same. The forest surrounding the clearing was dark green, verdant, though the shadows seemed darker here than at the seedy court. Albion had arrived with what looked like the full entourage of his inner court. Gwen recognized the queen of the Selkies immediately. To have aura on an inner court was a coup. She was an astute strategist and a grounded, thoughtful woman. She visited the seedy court only rarely, but he had passed some pleasant conversations with her. There was Alicia Mermelaki. He suppressed a shudder. Last he saw her, he was under Fay and starving to death. He was surprised that the person walking flush with Albion, the one who must be his king-in-waiting, was not a sea fay at all, but a slender, land-based fay of rakish appearance, wearing the checkered blue and white garb of a master mage. A warlord, perhaps? His black hair was streaked heavily with white, and despite his somewhat youthful appearance, he looked to be in his early thirties, there was a sense of the ancient and familiar about him, the same feeling he got when around the Nain Rouge or the King of the Forest. Ash hissed behind them. Immediately, a breeze sprang up, plucking sound away before Albion's court could hear them. Golvi leaned towards Gwen. "'Is that old Pete?' she said, under her breath. For the final member of Albion's inner court was, Gwen noted with dismay, the famed storykeeper known only as Old Pete. He was one of the rare fay who had chosen to age past the aura of youthfulness. He was grizzled, wrinkled, even stooped. His hair was a salt-and-pepper shagginess that matched his messy beard. He was classless, and now inner court, and much loved amongst the fae. Albion has found his Ash Glashton, except that old Pete is a cunning bastard. Damn it all. How did Albion get him on his court? Golvi whispered. Gwen didn't respond. Albion's was a stronger court than he could have imagined. He'd hoped that Albion would make the mistake of bolstering his inner court primarily with saltwater fay, thus deepening the rift between his personal court and the rest of the seely land fay. But to have a mage who was clearly not from the sea, and old Pete who was beloved amongst the land fay. Gwen stepped forwards to meet them, calmly meeting the eyes of all as Gulby dropped the breeze with a flicker of her fingers. Old Pete's eyes twinkled in amusement. The mage looked, if anything, bored. Alicia had a battle-ready excitement in her eyes that Gwen recognized and appreciated. Aura, as was typical for her, appeared impassive. Albion walked towards Gwen, away from his inner court, as Gwen had. He didn't wear armor, only a suit. He looked over Gwen's poorly-fitting armor with a disparaging sweep and a twitch to his lips that was almost a smirk. Gwen was glad that he managed to remain cold, unfathomable throughout. Albion met his gaze and offered a stiff smile. I, Albion, King of the Atlantic and the Seedy Kingdom, cannot truly say that I welcome you, Gwen Apneed, as King of the Unseelie. Unseelie always speak the truth, do they? Gwen said, smiling. I thought that was a myth only the humans believed. Albion's shoulders tilted back. His dark blue eyes sparked with an offended, angry glare. 
The sharpness of him was exacerbated by his mustache, his beard. Gwen felt an older confidence stir within his blood. The one that found him when he was general, when he'd been winning almost all of his battles, and he was no longer living with his family. His smile didn't waver, and he decided that he was up for this particular game. It's a pleasure to see you, now that everything has worked out as planned. The Albion believed that I wanted to inherit this ridiculous broken court. See it as a plan. And in five seconds, you will think to offend me by pointing out just how broken it... Has it worked out? Albion looked behind him to his inner court, beyond to the Guilwardy. You seem understaffed, underqualified, and your court is somewhat... underwhelming. Why is this always so easy? Why, indeed. Gwen couldn't understand many nuances of communication with others, but this was something he knew how to do. Albion could be playing his own verbal trap, but Gwen had a trump card. It itched against his skin, swirled bright in his torso. His hands remained still by his side, though they ached to twitch. Your poor appearance dishonors the seedy court. Albion snapped. You could have at least found armor that fit. Anger pulled deep in Gwen's gut. I have armor that fits me, Albion. You are wrongfully holding it within the seedy court. Odd that you are bringing up your own theft. There, a flash of anger in Albion's eyes at being called a thief, something many Seely Fae couldn't stand. It threatened their honor. Shall we talk about theft? Albion said, voice cold. I know you are planning on financing this court with funds that you have run from Seely Triumphs. By rights, all of your winnings are ours. Gwen's smile broadened. And if I had a shred of honor in my unseely blood, perhaps I'd care. Behind Albion, Aura's eyes met Gwen's, interest in them for the first time. The mage looked at his nails and then brushed something off his coat. Old Pete looked curious, but then he was a storyteller. Perhaps he wanted to write everything down and weave a tale of how the two kings met by the Gwilwardi. King Albion, if you're not here to welcome me as unseely king, why are you here? Is it to show me your inner court, to impress upon me the error of my ways, or to tell me that by rights I should have died when you released me, except that you really didn't plan for every eventuality as you assumed you had? That's always been your flaw, Albion. You've admitted it yourself behind closed doors. That arrogance of yours. Maybe Albion would believe it, maybe he wouldn't, but Gwen was going to sell the reputation that he, Govi, and August had been constructing. Gwen had been frightened before this meeting that he'd feel the urge to surrender to Albion to the Seely Court, that he would become overwhelmed by a sense of wrongness and realize that the right thing to do was to go back for sentencing and execution. But he'd misinterpreted his core of surrender. He'd given a part of himself to the Unseely Court. He'd done it even before he accepted kingship. His core energy was tangled up in surrendered threads, a tapestry woven with the court itself, the warmth of the Zahakar, even the possibility that he could do something good before, fatalistically, he expected it to fail. I am here to pass on your mother's regards, Albion said, his voice quiet, wreathed with tension. Gwen swallowed, and Albion didn't miss it. I am here to tell you that the Seedy Fae no longer have any patience for the mistakes the Unseedy Court has made over the years, and that it is time we stepped in to guide the Unseedy back to its rightful path. Indeed, Gwen said, voice flat. I am here to inform you that if the Unseedy Court does not cooperate— we will have no choice but to exert our force correctively until you see wisdom. We truthfully expect it to come to this, since the Seely know that you have already failed one kingdom. It is only a matter of time before you fail another. Gwen's light coiled in spirals through his body, 
up and then down, pushing at his lungs, scouring at his fingertips. Gwen wondered how long he had, truly, before Albion started pinching off the remaining small, private, unseelie militaries. Had they already started? Would he get a grace period as Albion consolidated his court? Fey military strategies were often slow-paced. Fey lived a long time. They could take years to work out a plan of attack if they wanted to. Even centuries. Albion wasn't known to rush. Probably a year or two, perhaps. Ten years if I'm lucky. Still not enough time to build a solid military, given that in the same time, Albion will be expanding his own. I did not fail to see the kingdom, Gwen said. You lied to all of us. You made a mockery of Seely honor and duty, and turned it into a game for your amusement. Gwen's teeth ground together, his hands clenched into fists. This again. They all seemed to forget that he'd not asked to be king. Ever. He was tired of this. Excuse me. I did what was asked of me. I defeated those who needed to be defeated. One of those an evil so great that the Oak King retired rather than confronted on his own. If you think you can come here, to my court, and make veiled threats, I want you to remember one thing. I am the most successful war general in the history of the city court. I was trained by Lee Lauer Wright and the tutors he cherry-picked, some of the best in the world. I have served under your tutelage, and I know your patterns of military combat. I have a significant portion of the military writings of the city memorized, and can recite them word for word, not to mention countless maps, not including the ones I have made myself, that the city court still uses. Albion, it would do you well to remember that I did all of that without the benefit of my actual power. Would you like to see it? I think a demonstration might be in order. Gwen had practiced this only twice. Practiced it, felt sick while doing it, hid what he was doing from the others. He swallowed down nausea and spread both of his hands so that they faced palm outwards, sideways, away from Albion and his inner court, away from the inner court standing behind him. The light needed the barest of invitations before it leapt like a bounding animal towards his fingertips. The two arcs blasted unevenly out of his hands in huge semicircles, flying first up towards the sky, then shooting down to the ground, scouring black, jagged rifts into the grass clearing. It became hard to see. Everything became pale, then glowed, and the light begged for more. Begged to take from the people that stood around him. It grated and war tore at his will. Gwen clamped down upon the light in its hunger, broke out into a sweat. He shook faintly as he severed it, clenching his sore, split palms into fists to cut the light off. He bled onto his fingers, even as the skin immediately sought to repair the damage done by his light. Albion's eyes were almost comically wide as he stared at the damage Gwen had inflicted on the landscape. The mage looked interested for the first time, watching Gwen. Alicia looked frightened. Aura looked... impressed, he thought. Old Pete was writing something down on a scroll. There's going to be a story about this. The meadow itself was ruined. A swath of blackened destruction surrounded them. The land wouldn't recover for thousands of years. Everyone who visited this entrance would see what Gwen's light was capable of, long after the unseelie court was likely destroyed. No hiding from it now. I'm still getting the hang of it, Gwen said flippantly. Albion's gaze snapped back to his. Best not test me. I feed on death, after all. You didn't wonder why I needed to kill so many fae so often. I have an appetite for it, let me tell you. Now where was I? I saved your court, and your people, and I also have this. I will not see our courts go to war if I can help it and I will not allow the Seely to force what they believe to be righteousness down the throats of those unseely citizens that have already been abused by a darkness that never belonged to them in the first place. I have always maintained that the alignments can live in harmony, and I maintain it still. Gwen's hands unclenched. 
he rested his palm on the hilt of the longsword at his side. Bloodlust and hunger streaked through him. Unleashing his light like that, without feeding, left him dazed. He needed to leave. His shoulder ached. He needed to do something. Saliva was flooding his mouth. Heat coursed through him. He had to concentrate. If, however, you still wish to test me, by all means, go ahead. Now, if you are not here to welcome me to the kingdom, as is your duty, then you are not welcome. Good afternoon. Gwen turned around, walked towards August and Ash, Golvi falling into step beside him. A breeze sprung up immediately to cloak their voices, but no one spoke. In the twenty steps they needed to return to the protection of the Gwilwardee, Gwen tensed for an attack. Something. But nothing came. It would have been a declaration of open warfare, and to not receive one as they walked within those towering trees left relief washing through Gwen, a cooling balm. Albion was biding his time, amassing his power, forging new diplomatic ties. Unlike humans, who could spring into war within a moment, the Fae always preferred a slower approach to combat. Albion in particular. He built his forces like a tidal wave, moved inexorably and heavily towards his target, not quickly. Which meant that everyone would see the war coming before it came. Still, it bought them time. Dude! Ash exclaimed, once they'd turned around and noticed that Albion in his inner court had teleported away. Dude, that was sick! Holy fuck, I felt like I was in an action movie! Did you know that you... Ash, Golby said quickly, cutting him off. August stared at Gwen, a hungry expression in his face. It was so dark and promising that Gwen's bloodlust changed focus. Gwen stared back until Golby touched his armor. He turned and glared at her. Golby beamed at him. Nice light show. Thank you, Gwen said stiffly. Gwen, August said, his voice dangerous. I wish to debrief with you. Maybe go somewhere private. Gwen wanted to place his bloody palms on August's sides, wanted to dig nails into his skin, wanted the stretch and pain noises, and he very much wanted to go somewhere private. He could barely think about what had just happened. He knew it would be difficult to manage his light once unleashed. Clarity and thought faded beneath his growing, unsated appetite. You'll excuse me, Gwen said to Ash and Gulvy. He bowed. He reached out with a hand and grasped August by the upper arm, meeting his feral gaze. He knew where to teleport within the unseelie court now, and took them straight to their bedroom. He snarled at August immediately, keeping his grip on August's arm. He dug his fingers in until August winced. You want to take me? August said, a light in his eyes. Gwen nodded. Then take your armor off, you beast. Gwen looked down at himself, started tearing at the pauldrons, the metal plates. The breastplate fell with a heavy thunk. He shed the armor quicker than he could remember doing for some time the gambeson coming off until all he wore was a thin linen undershirt. It made the pain in his shoulder flare, but that only added to his hunger. At the last minute, he remembered he was wearing the crown and took it off, left it on the drawer. It felt lighter in his hands than it did on his head. Perfect, August breathed. Gwen was about to reach out and grab August when two thumbs dug hard into spots underneath his ribs and pain exploded behind his eyes. He choked, blinked to clear his vision, and August lifted his hands and dug into two more points, causing a fresh wave of pain to wash over him. Gwen's knees buckled. He struggled clumsily when hands landed in his hair and pushed him towards the bed. He half fell upon it, dragging a hoarse breath into his lungs. You were spectacular, August breathed, the sound of pants being undone behind him. But no, Gwen wanted... Gwen's light wanted... Gwen twisted around, and August pushed a knuckle into the pressure point at the base of his neck, paralyzing him. Gwen cried out, and August chuckled. 
He pressed harder, and Gwen lost some of his finer motor control. Gwen growled. This wasn't how it was supposed to go. He was king. This... Material shifted above his back, and then August let go of his neck quickly. Even as Gwen started to push himself upwards, August had slick fingers between the cleft of his ass. Gwen bucked beneath him. The movement aborted when a palm pressed down into his lower back. Let go! Gwen snarled, voice hard and brittle. His light leapt like young bucks inside of him. He had to keep it under control. He had to focus. He had to... The breath was forced from his lungs when August pushed the tip of his finger into his ass. You don't know what it means to me, August said, sliding the finger home. Gwen squeezed his eyes shut, jerked, and August pulled his hair roughly in response. To know that you'll give this to me. You're taking it, you feral, power-mad, evil creep! August moved his finger back and forth roughly, and Gwen pressed his face into the bed. Or tried to. August's grip on his hair was unforgiving. It was happening too fast. His hips were half off the bed, his cock was filling against the blankets so fast it hurt. He tried to push himself up to his elbows, and August upset his balance, shoving in so hard with his finger that the pain of it distracted him. August stepped between Gwen's legs, making it harder to get leverage. This wasn't... The plan? August interrupted him, sliding out and coming back with two fingers, groaning softly when Gwen sketched out a pained, wanting noise. Lust was catching with the light in his torso, turning to a dull thudding in his pelvis. He was hard now, felt raw, exposed. He jerked forwards again, and August pulled his head back, pressed down and in, and found his prostate, yanking a surprised yelp from his throat. The plan is for me to split you open, and it's going fine, wouldn't you say? Three fingers, and Gwen's voice locked up in his throat. He had to hold his breath, and he whined when he finally exhaled. Bloodlust guttered like a candle. He tried to push himself up again, reached behind him blindly to grab at August. But the fingers that spread inside of him, invasive and leaving him full and open, were constant distractions. Gwen bared his teeth at the bed, tried to get leverage for himself yet again, and August responded by tapping his fingers up against Gwen's prostate. Gwen's legs went limp, his focus scattered, and he whimpered. Gwen's lust was threatening to overtake him. His cock chafed where it pressed against the blankets. He wanted to take, be taken, wanted everything at once, and his sore hands scraped fretfully against the bed, another burning pain that overlaid atop the sensations inside himself. August worked him open thoroughly. Every moment rode the edge of too much, too firm, too hard, too fast, fingers spreading too far at his entrance. It was addictive, and Gwen growled in frustration. He'd wanted to win, and August was demanding something very different from him. Gwen could feel his will slipping. When August slid his fingers out, Gwen pushed himself upright as much as he could, trying to slide sideways. August widened his stance, making it harder to move. Gwen growled, and August growled back, sliding an arm under his belly, yanking him back. August was always so much stronger than he looked. Gwen bit at his lips when he felt August's cock hard between his ass cheeks, sliding in the lubricant that August had already slicked onto himself, onto Gwen. Did he plan this? Gwen blinked, dazed, then muffled a sound into blankets when August's other hand palmed the center of his back with a tenderness that belied the way the inside of his ass burned, the way his cock pressed into the bed, leaking precum. I shouldn't have doubted you, August said, leaning forwards and sliding his cock up and down. Should I? No matter. You can lord it over everyone else, literally. But I think we all know where you belong, don't we? Gwen started to protest when August angled himself properly, then pushed inside of him. A single syllable escaped him, then he forgot how to breathe as August pressed deep without pause, filling him up beyond what he was sure he could take. When August's hips pressed flush with his, Gwen was trying to tear at blankets, dragging them up and towards them, rucking the bed. August crooned at him, a low hum of noise that was supposed to be soothing. 
Gwen's nerves felt as though they'd been lit on fire. One of August's arms stayed wrapped low around his pelvis, wrist between his cock and pelvis. He dragged him back in rhythmic, rocking motions, August's cock making room inside of him. The other came up and wrapped around Gwen's good shoulder, August's palm resting at the top of Gwen's chest. Oh, this is somewhat familiar, isn't it? August purred, rocking back and forth, and then snapping his hips forward so sharply that Gwen's mind blanked at the blast of sensation that moved through him. He went limp in August's grip, gasped air back into his lungs. Relief coursed through him alongside the quietening bloodlust. There was a time when he'd never thought he'd have this again, a time when he was under Fay, and he'd only had memories that he wouldn't let himself think about. He didn't know how long he'd have this now, how long August's patience or attention would last, but he was greedy for what August was giving him now. <sighs> Don't stop! Gwen gasped. August rocked forwards with increasing force, keeping his movements slow but precise. I'd like to see you make me, August breathed. August dug his claws into Gwen's chest, into his pelvis, and rent long, bloody lines into his skin that dripped blood immediately. Gwen shouted, pain flashed through him, drawing broken noises through his throat. August shifted his hands and did it again, turning Gwen's body into an instrument for his desire to hurt. And Gwen hurt. He keened, his upper and lower body wet in August's scratching grip, cruel claws piercing through skin, Gwen feeling as though that outer barrier meant nothing at all when August was near him. Oh, praise that king status, August said, a tremor of arousal in his voice. His cock kept moving into him in that precise, measured manner, firm and demanding, but not uncontrolled. Tears had come to Gwen's eyes. He shook his head against rumpled blankets, trying to reconcile the pain with the overwhelming pleasure of it. August's fingers turned soothing against his skin, and Gwen moaned. At some point he'd started rocking back into August's thrusts, but he faltered at August's touch, heat and sparks a softer swirl within. Now that it had receded from its peak, the light was far more forgiving than it used to be. August had taught him that. Gods! Gwen sobbed, pulling blankets around his head. August reached up with a bloodied hand and drew them away, stroking his fingers across Gwen's ear, through his hair. You make it hard to know what to do sometimes. August breathed. Gwen's eyes opened, vision blurred with tears. August had said that to him before. The very first time he'd taken him, hundreds of years before. And then the first time he'd taken him in the Seely Court. But I think I know now. August said, a smile in his voice. August pressed his closed chest to Gwen's back, canted up until his cock was in as far as it would go, and Gwen's voice squeaked out of him until August's mouth reached his ear, damp, dripping hair tangling with his. "'Are you going to come for me?' August said, a softness in the playfulness of his voice. "'I think you are.' Gwen nodded. He was close. Sensation upon sensation was layering on top of him, the gentleness of August's touch with the fact that he felt split upon his cock, the heaviness of August's chest upon his back, and the individual claw marks rending his torso, sending aching, burning pain through him even the ache of his shoulder, the fainter ache of his hands where they clenched. He unclenched one of those hands with effort and reached up awkwardly, curling his fingers around August's head, pressing August's face closer to his. He turned towards him, panting. His lower body balanced precariously near orgasm. He was so close. August made a small, surprised sound, then pressed his face even closer. "'You know you do, don't you?' August said, voice turning fierce. "'You know you belong to me.' Yes, Gwen choked. Good, August ground out, hips undulating against him again, picking up the rhythm. The movements were slight, but they were enough. Gwen's whole body locked up as he felt turned inside out. 
Light turned the inside of his mind white as he came, spasm after spasm shaking violently through his body, making him clench hard against August, who kept rolling his hips against him. He dragged the blankets back to his face when August adjusted his stance, slid backwards, and started a rhythm that was harder, that matched August's own needs in that moment, slow but forceful long strokes. His whole body ached. He moaned brokenly, and August rubbed at his hip before gripping it and continuing. Gwen felt oddly settled, despite the turbulence of what was happening. He tightened against August when his concentration came back to himself. August groaned, so Gwen did it again, wincing at the same time. He'd been roughly used, and even squeezing back against August was dully painful. After that, though, it didn't take much. August's hips pressed deep into his, and Gwen whimpered as August's cock expanded slightly inside of him as he came. He turned his head to the side, still panting. August above him was silent except for the odd, faint, shaken breath. August shifted, moved his arm from underneath Gwen's pelvis, stayed inside of him even as his head lay alongside Gwen's. Gwen opened his eyes, and August was watching him, green eyes bright. "'Kiss me?' August said, smirking. Gwen frowned at him. "'Did you trick me into taking off my own armor, so that you didn't have to?' August's expression transformed from a smirk into his genuine smile. It showed no teeth at all. Gwen huffed under his breath, leaned forwards, and pressed his lips to August. He was glad that August seemed to like this, for all that he didn't understand why. He lingered, tasting clean water, the faintest tint of silt. He dragged his lips across August, and then closed his top and bottom lip around August's bottom lip, simply holding it there. He closed his eyes, exhaled slowly through his nose. He was sore, but his king status meant he was already healing. He'd need to remember to eat later. Since the Troes were now newly in the employ of the court, the variety of food available had already broadened considerably. Gwen hummed against August's lips. They stayed like that for some time. August's eyes closed, their lips pressed together in slow, sweet kisses, August inside him and Gwen's blood oozing onto the bed beneath him. A day later, Gwen and August had hardly left their room, August had gone to gather some food from the Troes. Gwen had left briefly to talk over their encounter with Albion with Gulby. Ash was, apparently, up in the human world and didn't plan on returning for a week. They'd both showered. Gwen had kicked the armor into the dead corner of the room so it wouldn't get in the way. The scratches on his belly, across his chest, had already knitted into thin grazes. He constantly touched the marks, amazed at how quickly he was healing. He used to take it for granted— but the scar at his shoulder made that impossible now. He still held out hope that he might find something to help his shoulder. He'd found so many miracles for others, he was fixed on the idea that he could find something for himself. If he considered any other alternative, his mind became a seething coil of vindictive rage. It was early evening when Gwen and August sat cross-legged on the bed, facing each other. August wore a casual, long-sleeved shirt that wicked water away. He had his mane swept over one shoulder, water-weed glistening healthily between strands of hair. Gwen let August dress him in a nicer, button-up shirt with a collar. August seemed to enjoy finding him clothing to wear, and Gwen was surprised to note that August seemed to match clothing to what he thought Gwen would like. It just seemed to be a more formal version of everything Gwen normally wore. Gwen felt as though they'd found a small pocket in amongst the madness. He could feel a meteor shower nearby, wished he was beyond the unseated court and able to see it, but he wanted to stay in the space they'd created for themselves. They'd been talking over all sorts of subjects. Gwen loved listening to August talk about his lake, his plans for the environment. Apparently there was a particular beech tree that August found to be finicky and ailing, but thought he could bring it back with enough care and presence. 
August talked about it for almost twenty minutes, and Gwen had watched him splay his fingers on the bed, as though able to touch the bluebells he was predicting would arrive in spring, with a faint smile on his face. But Gwen had some things he also wanted to talk about that had been playing on his mind. He took a deep breath before bringing one of those subjects up. I'm not sure how you are going to incorporate your craft into the responsibilities as in accord, but I would like to think that you would make the time to continue to see clients. August looked at him, brow furrowing. I hadn't given it much thought. You wish for me to keep taking on clients? August, you saved my life, Gwen said. That day I came to you, you saved me. You have saved others. Who would I be to stand in the way of that? August nodded slowly, looked contemplative. His expression shifted to something harder to read. Gwen waited patiently. He was concerned that once August started seeing clients again, he would realize that he was bored with Gwen, that he didn't need him anymore. Perhaps Gwen had only been a good alternative while August literally had no choice in the matter, when he couldn't see a diversity of clients with different needs. Even so, Gwen still couldn't bring himself to stop August from his vocation. He already felt bad enough that he'd asked so much of him as inner court, but he wanted August as interrogator. Horrid, August said, almost to himself. I think we need to have this discussion now. Gwen's fingers dug slightly into his knees. August noticed. He looked at Gwen's hands and then met his eyes, his expression somber. I am not particularly interested in taking on any clients as I used to at this time. I'll be busy enough, and perhaps it's time for a change. When I feel like it again, we'll talk about it then. In the meantime, if we're talking about who can fuck who, I have some rules, Gwen. I am the Akushka, I am territorial, and I do not permit you to lay with others carnally. You are not to get drunk and give yourself over to anyone else but me. Gwen stared at him, but August wasn't done. He held up a finger. There is only one condition where this doesn't apply, which is when you are consumed by bloodlust after a battle. I'd rather you not come and rip me apart, and I doubt you could find me anyway in that state of mind. Only then may you rot to slake your hunger, with the understanding that it's mindless, and nothing more than a redirection of that bloodlust. But everything else, Gwen, for everything else, you come to me now. Do you understand? This wasn't how he'd expected the conversation to go. He shifted, uncomfortable. August was watching him with that strange, unblinking gaze that he got sometimes. Gwen knew there would always be aspects of August he would never understand. He hadn't expected this. Exclusivity was rare amongst the Fae. He still didn't know how he felt about being asked not to get drunk and give himself away to others anymore. August didn't understand. When the urge overcame him, he needed that. And you? Gwen said, his voice turning faint. What about you? Will you be laying with others? Outside of your craft? I doubt it. August smirked. Track record suggests that outside of clients, it's not likely. Gwen sighed quietly in relief. They lapsed into silence for some time. He couldn't speak for August, but he was growing more accustomed to their silences. It was novel, not to be around Faye who felt the need to talk all the time. The only other ones he'd really experienced it with were some of the more taciturn soldiers. Many of the Fae who frequented the court interpreted silences poorly. Gwen found himself thinking of the time he overheard August singing. He smiled to himself. What are you thinking? August said, and Gwen looked up, 
shrugged a shoulder. I was thinking how lovely your voice is when you sing, Gwen said. Alga's eyes widened, then narrowed in anger. Gwen sat up straighter as Alga stiffened. He'd said something wrong. He frowned. It was an accident. I didn't mean to hear you. Only that I did, and you sounded... You had no right to do that, August hissed, and Gwen stared at him, wide-eyed. That's mine. No one's heard it except Ash. It was an accident, August. But August looked alarmed, enraged. He started to slide off the bed, and Gwen's heart thumped a horrified beat at him. The day had been an unexpected haven, and he was loath for it to finish this way. He moved across the bed, tried to grasp at August, who jerked out of his way. August, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know what it's like to have something private that you don't want other people to know. To have things that you only want to be yours. And I don't mean being unseely or having the light. Okay? I do understand. What do you understand? August spat. Gwen became painfully aware just how much of August's life was spent alone, away from others. I'll keep your secret, Gwen said, earnest. I... I know, August. I... Also, I used to... I used to wander through the forest sometimes, when I was younger, and sing to myself. I never wanted anyone else to hear me. It was between me and the forest. August stared at him. You sing? And not just rousing, awful war songs? They are rousing, awful war songs. I just sing them differently when I'm alone. Gwen was blushing now. He felt it on his cheeks, his ears, even on his neck. He hadn't expected to reveal this much. He hadn't even done it in decades. He hadn't felt inspired to. Do it then, August said, folding his arms, facing him. Gwen stared, blood draining from his face. He shook his head, mute. His voice wasn't like August. It wasn't naturally melodic. He could sing, certainly. Aspects of his training and education when he was younger covered that. His father had said that no Welsh fay would leave the Anfinwy estate unable to play at least one instrument and sing. Gwen had chosen, and failed at, the cruth, and he'd learned the basics of singing from a tutor. But he'd used his voice quietly on his own. It wasn't the strident voice they'd wanted for songs of patriotism, of war. "'Will you sing for me, please?' August said, his voice softening. His expression had shifted from doubt and defense to something open, curious. Gwen could feel his own heart inside his chest, an uncertain beat. He had, after all, eavesdropped on something very private. Seeing August raw and vulnerable like that had ripped something open inside Gwen's own chest, made him realize how he felt for him. Can you... Gwen looked towards the door. Can you wait out there? August pursed his lips, then nodded. He left the room, left the door ajar. A moment later, Gwen heard, There's no one here, if that helps. It did help, but not much. Gwen didn't want to sing within the walls of the unseelie court, when he'd only ever done it in forests before, where the leaves and bark and breezes would capture his voice and twist it away to nothingness. He didn't want to sing for August. He knew that August was asking, in part, to balance their situation. But he worried for what August might say about it, how easily cutting he could be. August, who could make plants and flowers grow just by willing it, 
who sang naturally to the land around him even when he wasn't using his voice, he would see through Gwen's lack of grace. He might have no patience for it. He cast his mind nervously around for a song. In the end, the only thing that came to him was a song that his soldiers used to sing around the campfire when they were well into their cups. A ballad about a seely and unseely fay who fell in love on the battlefield while their swords rang against the other. It was a common enough tune, lending itself to the drunken moments of soldiers wanting something more of romance in their lives. It, like so many of their songs, had a tragic ending. Gwen opened his mouth, closed his eyes, but nothing came out. His breath caught in his throat. His lungs felt empty. He took a deep breath, placed his fingers over his eyes, looked down at the bed. He began to sing. His voice was quiet and deep. He'd always typically taken the baritone parts of war songs when leading soldiers into battle. But in forests, away from the fray of battle, away from a campfire, he shaped the words carefully, approached the melody like a wary animal. He fumbled a line, stopped singing, expected August to mock him. After several beats of hearing nothing at all, horribly tense, he picked up the verse again, thinking that he'd experienced actual torture worse than this. His hands shook. His voice shook. He sang the chorus, planning to stop once it was finished. He didn't think he could bear singing the rest of the song. Gwen's eyes widened when he heard it. August's voice matching the lyrics, singing from behind the door. His voice faltered to silence. August did, too. There was a pregnant silence. Gwen's mouth and lips were dry. August picked up the tune again, and Gwen followed it himself, hands dropping from his face and staring at the ajar space between the door and doorframe. He could see nothing past it except the darkened corridor of the unseely court. August's voice was gentle as he sang the lyrics, guiding Gwen into the next verse, but of course August would know the lyrics too. It was one of the songs that was common to both alignments, after all. Their voices complemented each other, Gwen's deeper voice to August's faintly higher one. When August harmonized with him on the chorus, Gwen's eyes began to burn and his voice choked away to a stop. He heard August shift and licked at his lips to wet them. August leaned into the door a minute later, hanging onto the door handle as he swung slowly back into the room. The corners of his mouth were turned up. There was something unreadable in his eyes. You're good, August said, and Gwen blinked rapidly and looked away. It felt horrifically intimate. He felt as bared before August as he had the night August had shown him gentleness in that relentless, endless manner. He felt seconds away from running, leaving the unseely court completely. Oh, sweetness. August said, his voice careful. Gwen shook his head. The worst part was how good it had felt. Something so small, it left him with awful thoughts of love and faded relationships, and he couldn't, he couldn't do that to himself. He knew none of this would last. It was all precarious, unstable. All of it. Can we do that again, one day? August said, keeping his voice light, easy. Gwen nodded lost for words. But not now, August said, stepping towards the bed again. He crawled onto it smoothly, knelt in front of Gwen, took the hands that had fallen into his lap. My wild, shy creature. Can we leave for a while? Gwen said, looking around the room nervously. A forest? There's a meteor shower happening nearby. It might please you? 
A meteor show? August said, looking confused. He opened his mouth to keep speaking, but Gwen had already reached out for him. They wouldn't be more than a moment, and the forest was secluded. August had his invisibility, Gwen had his light. Fear flickered in him as it always did, but impulse took over and he transformed them both into light. They landed within a copse of trees, the canopy bowing over them protectively. Gwen, grateful for his king status and his enhanced senses, could tell no fae were nearby. He let go of August's arms and pointed up at the sky. August followed his gaze and made a small, unimpressed sound. I don't see a f- The meteors had been moving patchily, and a new burst of activity started, several meteors moving visibly across the sky at once. Gwen smiled up at them. He gave August a satisfied look, his nerves fading away. This was a trick he'd shown to soldiers before, and he never got tired of this moment. August stared up at them, mouth hanging open. You- He tore his gaze away from the sky and stared at Gwen, pupils dilating. Gwen scented August's fear then, siltier and muddier than his normal scent. August pointed up at the meteors, staring back up at the tiny streams of light, rocks flaring as they entered the atmosphere. How did you know this was happening? Your astronomy research? No, Gwen said, shaking his head. I can sense when they're close. I've always been able to do it. I don't notice most of the time. But this is near the unseedy court, and it's been a few hours now. It niggles a little. You sense them, August said, and the tang of fear in the air grew sharper. Is that a bad thing? Gwen said. The soldiers used to think it was a decent trick around the fire. No one made anything of it. Gwen, you can sense things in space, and you're a light fay, and your light is destructive. Oh, by the gods. Fuck, you're not. You can't be. There are no celestial unseely fae. There has never been an unseely that was a celestial fae. There's just no... August stared up at the sky again, and Gwen stared up also, looking at the constellations. Nothing was close enough now to burn up as it fell into the Earth's orbit. Gwen felt stunned. He wasn't a celestial fae. They were rare, and strange, and always seely. Most died terribly young, destroyed by their powers. Like you almost did when you let your powers loose at the Anfinwe estate. Gwen blinked, staring at August in shock. It makes so much sense, August breathed. He took several deep breaths, a hand coming up to his chest. Celestial unseely fae don't exist, Gwen said, shaking his head. It's something else. Really? August said, raising his eyebrows. Do you think so, after giving it some thought? You're already classless. You've broken enough rules in this world already, Gwen Apneath. Do you really think it's impossible? Why does it matter? Gwen said. It doesn't matter. Gwen, listen to me. Listen. You are unseely. You are classless. You're a celestial common fae. You're not meant to exist. You're an anomaly. Someone... Something is messing with you. Has been messing with you from the beginning. You are not a coincidence, Gwen Apneath. Someone like you? Listen to the list. Tell me what you think. Unseely, classless, celestial, who has an open debt with a god, who breaks old law. Oh, and let's not forget has been king of both kingdoms. Gwen swallowed around the dryness in his throat. 
I spent so long trying to figure out what kind of light fair you were, August muttered to himself. So long. I even read books on the physics of light, which were useless. I never considered you might be celestial. But you break all the rules, don't you? How did you draw the attention of something powerful enough to mess with you like that before you were born? How did your family? Gwen looked at the forest around them. The leaves swayed gently in a cool breeze. The trees grew as they always did, slowly and with great endurance. The ground beneath his bare feet was dry, a hint of dampness beneath. The world smelled of rich loam, of animal musk, and the faint mold of leaf litter decaying by thickened tree roots. The world was doing what it always did, and within it they were just two more wild creatures. He let himself turn his fears over to the forest. Quinn laughed, shaking his head. <laughs> I don't care. August blinked at him. I beg your pardon? August, I don't care. Creel, I'm sure, isn't done with me. Albion wants to ruin the unseated court and likely the kingdom. You jump at shadows. Neither of us sleeps as often as we should. August, can we deal with this later? Quinn, you can't be serious. You need to find out why you've been targeted and what someone intends for you, because... But it's too late now, isn't it? And I find I don't care, Gwen said, smiling and looking up at the sky. He realized it was true. Give it an hour, perhaps even twenty minutes, and he could panic again. But he was outdoors, August was with him. August was inner court status, protected by a soul bond, and there were no fae nearby to bother them. The sky was singing louder than it usually did, and his light quietly thrummed inside of him. You will, August said. Not today. He reached for August and dragged him closer, a glimmer of true wildness inside of him. He stared down hungrily, wanting to wipe away the odd worry in August's eyes. He leaned down and kissed him, fingers tightening over his arm. We're going with denial, then, I take it? August whispered against his mouth. Gwen smiled against August's lips. It's actually a pleasant evening, August. Stop trying to thwart it. It's still nothing to you. It doesn't deserve your wrath. August made a sound of exasperation against Gwen's mouth, bit his lower lip spitefully before licking into his mouth and sliding his tongue along Gwen's, angling their mouths until their lips met, exhaling through their noses. August cupped a hand over the side of Gwen's face, resting his thumb on his cheek, claw tips by his ear. His other hand curved around his neck. August's other thumb was close enough to his throat that his heart stuttered uncomfortably in his chest before it found a steadier beat. Gwen rested his hand carefully against August's side, not looking up as rocks fell into the sky above them, burning up into light. This has been Game Theory by Not Poignant Read by Dark MK Thank you for listening.